Welcome to episode 5 of Making Websites Win. If you haven't done so already, we recommend you start at episode 1 and listen to the episodes in sequence. Otherwise, welcome back. Let's continue. Section 3. Problems and Solutions The most common reasons web visitors abandon and proven easy-to-implement fixes. The ingredients of a winning website. At the end of section 1, we describe the formula DIPS, D-I-P-S, Diagnose to Problem to Solution for Improving Websites. We explained how you need to begin with diagnosis to identify how your website can be improved. Then, in section 2, we described many of the diagnosis techniques we use. After implementing just a few of them, you'll have a big list of identified problems, which you may prefer to think of as opportunities. This section is about implementing solutions to those problems, opportunities. A good solution is one that eliminates the problem entirely, unblocking your website's profits like that gloopy stuff unblocks the hairs from a shower drain, and in a manner that's no less satisfying. Fortunately, not all blockages are unique. During the hundreds of research projects we have carried out, we have identified the major categories into which most problems fall. Your company's biggest problem will almost certainly be among them. Each of the following chapters is dedicated to one of those problems. Some of them are subtle. If you miss them or fail to recognise their scope, you could waste time working on the wrong aspect of your business. We see this happen a lot. By reading each chapter, you'll become better at spotting each problem when you see it in research data. Here's how to use this section of the book. Refer to your research to identify which problem is causing your visitors to abandon your website. Then, skip to the corresponding chapter, which will explain how to think about the problem and will then describe some proven effective ways of fixing it. Of course, there are many ways to overcome each problem. For example, there are over a hundred ways of overcoming lack of trust, and some of them are much more effective than others. For each problem, we will describe strategies that we've found to be robust, that tend to work reliably in most situations. Winning websites are written well. If visitors can't understand your writing, here's how to improve it. Why you should learn to write clearly and why so few people are good at it. When we ask a website's visitors why they didn't buy, they often report that they were confused. They hadn't understood the words on the website and visitors can't buy what they can't understand. So, with millions of dollars at stake, why are many websites confusing? Because writing intelligibly is harder than it sounds. For example, listen to the following sentence from a popular newspaper written by an otherwise great writer. Dance music aficionados can argue interminably over which of the legendary singles Frankie Knuckles produced in the late 80s, singles you can say without fear of contradiction that played a part in changing the face of pop music forever, is the best. That sentence is free of typos and punctuation errors, and it uses sophisticated words accurately. According to many rules of English, it's written well. Yet, most people struggle to understand it, let alone work out what's wrong with it or how to fix it. It's hard to write clearly. In fact, it's hard to find someone who can teach you how to write clearly. Schools tend to spend more time teaching pupils how to sound smart or how to analyse Shakespearean prose than how to be understood. Students are more likely to be told to memorise poetry than to carry out a readability test. This is a disservice. Poetry can be life-enriching, but the purpose of almost all writing is to communicate information. So. If your school didn't teach you how to write intelligibly, how can you learn? 
This chapter describes some fantastic resources for helping you to write more clearly. They have helped us to generate hundreds of millions for our clients. It's hard to overstate how useful they are. But first, let's explore why so many writers are hard to understand. Many books teach you to avoid errors, but that's not the problem. When most people want to improve their writing, they buy a book like Eats, Shoots and Leaves, The Zero Tolerance Approach to Punctuation, which is about how to avoid making mistakes. Such books describe rules like the following. When there are parentheses at the end of a sentence, put the period after the closing parenthesis. If your whole sentence is in parentheses, put the period inside the closing parenthesis. Such rules may be useful to know, but they make little difference to whether your readers understand what you are saying. Many teachers specialise in sounding intelligent. If you follow their advice, your sales will plummet. Many teachers encourage writing in what Richard Lanham calls the official style, a style that sounds intelligent but that is hard to read. Lanham's book, Revising Prose, teaches you how to translate official-style sentences into plain language. It contains a great example of how Warren Buffett, the world's most famous investor, translated a fund prospectus into plain language. Buffett changed hard-to-read sentences like Adjustments made to shorten portfolio maturity and duration are made to limit capital losses during periods when interest rates are expected to rise into easy-to-read text like When we expect a major and sustained increase in rates, we will concentrate on short-term issues. No wonder fellow investors hang on Buffett's every word. The official style is prevalent in academic literature too. On the website LOL My Thesis, graduates self-deprecatingly translate the titles of their theses from the official style into plain language, usually to comic effect. Original title of thesis? Environmental Enrichment and the Striatum the influence of environment on inhibitory circuitry within the striatum of environmentally enriched animals and behavioural consequences. Rewritten title Having toys and bright colours in their cages makes mice smarter in their brains. Original title of thesis Challenging ritual and exploring deposition within the canals of Chavan de Huanta. Rewritten title Ancient Peruvians threw stuff down a drain. Maybe it was ritual, probably just trash. Original title of thesis, The Punch Brothers, The Blind Leaving the Blind. How heterogeneous stylistic techniques provide new interpretations of genre. Rewritten title, A band that detests genre classifications is just going to have to put up with it. The rewritten titles are facetious and many of them omit useful information, but they also reveal a truth. The official style is like medieval armour. It defends you from attack, but people can no longer hear what you're saying. If you were to write your website in the official style, your conversion rate would bomb. Your visitors would leave confused Teachers and bosses may like intelligent-sounding text, but readers prefer text that's easy to understand. How to write so that people will understand you Faced with all this bad advice, how can you learn to write well? Clear writing is a big subject for a little chapter. So, in this chapter, we describe several tools and techniques that will help immensely. And then we recommend some resources that will transform your life with just a few hours' effort. A simple technique that helps you to write easy-to-read copy. By far the most effective technique for improving your writing is simple. Carry out readability tests. A readability test is simply a user test carried out specifically on a piece of writing. 
If you run readability tests on everything you write, you'll quickly become aware of how your readers struggle. Make a note of every point at which they falter and then fix it. You can make the fixes during the test or afterward, depending on how much fixing there is to do and how quick you are at editing. Speak first, write later. If you struggle to write clearly, you will find the following workaround useful. One of our clients, a company called Moz, had a common problem. Moz's founder, Rand Fishkin, mentioned that in seven minutes he could persuade almost anyone to sign up. So, face-to-face, -face, Rand's conversion rate was high. But he was frustrated that his website's conversion rate was much lower. We asked Rand to film himself saying what he would say during those seven minutes. We transcribed the video, then used the transcript as a template for the company's new landing page. And we embedded the video itself into the page. The new page beat the old one, with a 52% higher conversion rate during the A-B test. Rand reported that, in total, we almost tripled his company's conversion rate. If you'd like to learn more about this project, see the detailed case study we wrote about it. Many people find that their spoken English is easier to understand than their written English. If you are one of those people, try the following workflow. Record yourself. Get the recording transcribed. We highly recommend SpeechPad for fast, accurate transcription. Edit your transcript and incorporate it into your website. A-B test the new page to confirm that your changes have increased your profits. Be aware of the reader's memory buffer. To make your writing easy to understand, there's one principle above all others that you should understand. You should be constantly aware of the reader's memory buffer. As a person reads, his or her brain constantly processes and interprets the incoming words. In doing so, it loads the words into a short-term memory, a buffer, and then discharges them when the meaning has been understood. The buffer memory is surprisingly small. It struggles to hold more than about 15 words. Fortunately, most sentences contain frequent resolution points at which the meaning can be understood and the buffer unloaded. In the following examples, we have marked with a clicking sound the main resolution points, the points at which the words in the buffer can be interpreted. You'll also be able to hear, by a rising background sound, the points at which the short-term memory has gone too long without a break. Dance music aficionados can argue interminably over which of the legendary singles Frankie Knuckles produced in the late 80s. Singles you can say without fear of contradiction that played a part in changing the face of pop music forever is the best. The clicks feel like points at which your brain gets to take a breath. When you hear the words that have the background sound behind them, you may get the same panicky feeling that you get when you are diving underwater and you are starting to run out of oxygen. By the time you reach the final click, your short-term memory is gasping. The following text contains another example of the same phenomenon. To pass the Bechdel test, a movie must have at least two female characters who are named and talk to each other about something other than a man. Pulp Fiction, all three movies of the original Star Wars trilogy, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, The Social Network, Avatar and Finding Nemo reportedly fail the test. To understand where those resolution points, the clicks, lie, you could study linguistic parse trees. However, they are hard to learn. Fortunately, there's an easier way. With a few minutes' practice, you'll discover that you can sense it just by reading a sentence word by word and noting the points at which your understanding resolves. Incidentally, dependency length is the number of words during which the reader needs to hold their breath before they can reach a resolution point.
If you aim to go easy on your reader's memory buffers, the following priceless rules of thumb emerge. Keep sentences short. You can enforce resolution points by keeping sentences short. A period is a resolution point. As you become more sophisticated, you'll discover that certain types of long sentences are fine, provided they have what's called right-branched clauses, like this one, or this one, or even this one. Get to the verb quickly. In each sentence, minimise the distance between the start of the subject and the end of the verb. In the example, we mentioned the following sentence. Pulp Fiction all three movies of the original Star Wars trilogy, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, The Social Network, Avatar and Finding Nemo reportedly fail the test. You could improve it by moving the verb fail to the start. The following movies reportedly fail the test. The original Star Wars trilogy, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Pulp Fiction, The Social Network, Avatar and Finding Nemo. Cut fluff. Omit needless words, advised Strunk and White. Buffer memory is the reason. Needless words don't just waste time, they make ideas too big to fit in buffer memories. Replace nominalizations with action verbs. Nominalizations are where verbs are stated as though they were nouns. So, for example, meet becomes a meeting. Investigated becomes an investigation. Tested becomes a test. Nominalizations are bad because they require a usually meaningless verb like had plus prepositions to link them. Meet becomes had a meeting. What was being had? Investigated becomes held an investigation. What was being held? Tested becomes carried out a test. What was carried? You can spot nominalizations by looking for verbs that aren't really describing what's happening, like had, held and carried in the sentences mentioned. The verb to be is the most common culprit. If you ever see to be or variants like is and was, you'll probably find a more action-y verb hiding nearby maybe inside a noun. Ask yourself, what is actually being done here? For example, when you see the following sentence, my recommendation is to carry out an improvement initiative on the website. The word is indicates that the verb is hiding elsewhere. In this case, the verb is recommend, and it's hiding in the word recommendation. You should rewrite the sentence as follows, so that... My recommendation is to carry out an improvement initiative on the website becomes I recommend we carry out an improvement initiative on the website. But even that isn't going far enough. In the sentence mentioned, is anything really being carried out? No, the presence of the words carry out reveal that another verb is hiding somewhere. In this case, the verb is improve, and it has buried itself in the noun phrase improvement initiative. You should further rewrite the sentence as follows, so that I recommend we carry out an improvement initiative on the website becomes I recommend we improve the website. And so, we have converted a 12-word sentence into a 6-word one. The reader's memory buffers will thank us for it. If in doubt, use the following sentence structure. The human brain is great at understanding sentences that have the following structure. The woman threw the ball to the dog. In other words, a living entity does something, maybe to something else, preferably another living entity. Next time you're struggling to write a sentence, Try writing it in that format. For most conversion copywriting, the living entities should be you, the reader, and we, the company. When you first try it, you'll feel like it isn't going to work. You'll be surprised how often it does. A few more tips for writing good sentences. 
The following tips can improve any sentence. 1. Make abstract sentences concrete. Ask yourself, if I were making a movie of this sentence, what would I point the camera at? And then describe that. 2. Use action verbs. Verbs that describe what is actually happening. 3. You'd always put the punchline at the end of a joke. Similarly, put the main point of a sentence at its end. To check you've done this right, read the sentence out loud and hammer your fist on the desk to emphasise the last word or words. If the words are in the wrong order, the hammering will sound silly. A. Bad. The hammer test reveals that the words are in suboptimal order in this sentence. B. Good. This sentence has its words in a better order and so the hammer test works great. 4. If you ever find yourself italicising a word, to add emphasis, that's a clue that the word might belong at the end of the sentence. Rearrange the sentence to put the word at the end and see if it sounds better that way. 5. If you ever find yourself putting words in brackets, that's a clue that the words might belong in the previous sentence. Hemingway app highlights long, complex sentences and common errors. It's free. You won't agree with all of its suggestions, but it provides a fresh pair of robot eyes. We use it regularly. Grammarly is the best proofreading tool we've found. Like Hemingway, it isn't always right, but it can point out mistakes that you have overlooked. Some fantastic resources to improve your writing. On our office bookshelf, we have 52 books about writing, but only a few of them will help you to improve the clarity of your writing. We recommend you start at the top of the following list and work your way down. If punctuation bores you, don't be deterred. Most of the books aren't about grammatical pedantry. They are about simple, practical techniques that will transform you into a better writer. The one by Stephen Wilbers is so good, so transformational, you'll be amazed you haven't discovered it before. 1. The Plain English Campaign has some useful free guides. Start with How to Write in Plain English. Then read The A to Z of Alternative Words, which urges you to use words like use instead of utilising words like utilise. 2. The second half of The Elements of Style by Strunk and White, the section written by E.B. White, concisely describes how to write clearly and why it's important to do so. 3. The first 86 pages of A Pocket Style Manual by Diana Hacker and Nancy Summers include all the grammar and punctuation advice you'll ever need, explained extremely concisely plus many tips for making your writing readable. This is the only book that we keep on our desks. 4. Keys to Great Writing by Stephen Wilbers This is our favourite book on the list. It teaches you the mechanics of writing well. It's brilliantly concise and is full of techniques that actually work. You have probably never heard of most of them. You may enjoy this book even if you hated English classes at school. We suspect that it particularly appeals to programmers because it provides a much-needed logical framework for writing. The book summarises several other books, including two other favourites of ours, Style, The Basics of Clarity and Grace, and The Sense of Structure, Writing from the Reader's Perspective. 5. Writing Tools 55 Essential Strategies for Every Writer by Roy Peter Clark. Why have we begun this paragraph with a question that we immediately answer? Because that's a useful literary technique for introducing a subject. If you'd like to discover more literary techniques, this book is full of them. Once you become aware of each technique, you'll begin to spot it in other people's writing. 6. The Sense of Style by Steven Pinker 
Pinker is a cognitive scientist. In this book, he explains how a knowledge of linguistics can help you to write better. By teaching you how language works, he helps you to become more intuitive about how to write well. If you want an even deeper understanding of how language works, then read Pinker's prior book, The Language Instinct. 7. The Elements of Eloquence by Mark Forsyth. This book describes simple techniques that help you to write great phrases. The techniques appear in almost all great writing, particularly poetry, song lyrics and marketing slogans. This is one of those books that makes you wonder, how did they resist teaching me that at school? Did my teachers not know all those awesome techniques? But Shakespeare, Bob Dylan and Paul Simon did. Unlike some books about writing, this one works great as an audiobook. Each of the following chapters in this section is, to some extent, about writing. What to say, how to say it, and when to say it. However, it all begins with writing clearly. That's a prerequisite to everything else. If you write intelligibly, you stand a chance of persuading your visitors. And if you don't, you don't. Winning websites are user-friendly. If visitors struggle to use your website, here's how to make it easy to use. Usability problems kill conversions. There's no easier way to grow a business than to eliminate them. We have described how user tests can help you to identify usability problems. In this chapter, we describe how to solve them. Why are so many designers usability blind? If you're a sadist with a technical bent, you will enjoy running usability tests. During tests, we see users caught in wild goose chases, scratching their heads and sometimes swearing or even hitting their keyboards. Why do marketers make websites that cause people to punch peripherals? Because marketers are afflicted with the curse of knowledge, a cognitive bias that makes it extremely difficult to think about a problem from the perspective of someone who's less informed. Marketers spend so long looking at their own websites, they can't imagine what it would be like to see the website for the first time. As a result, the website's users appear to be stupid. It's a compelling illusion. But look at it another way. 1. Our users desired something. 2. We create a website to satisfy that desire. 3. And our users still can't get what they desire. Now who's stupid? How can you overcome the curse of knowledge? Design your processes for what you perceive to be a busy, lazy, drunk, amnesiac idiot what lawyers call a moron in a hurry, really. Even geniuses with time on their hands will be grateful that you did. Why is usability hard to learn? Usability is hard to learn because great examples are hard to detect. Usable solutions are invisibly elegant, like you never notice that you have a spleen until you have a problem with your spleen. Also, for reasons we don't understand, some people seem to be almost genetically predisposed to recognising usability, and others seem to be blind to it. How can you design pages that are easy to use? It can take years to become great at designing easy-to-use pages. The following tips can help a lot. 1. Watch a lot of user tests. Most people are surprised when they first watch a user test. They are surprised that the visitors see and do things they hadn't expected. The more you watch user tests, the more you internalise the insights and become empathetic. First, you become aware of how erratic users can be. After that, you become better at second-guessing how users will behave. 2. Watch eye-tracking sessions. Eyes don't move the way one might expect. 
They move from fixation point to fixation point in rapid jumps called saccades. The more you watch eye tracking sessions, the more you become aware of how users see and don't see things. You learn the importance of controlling the user's eye movements. 3. Learn all the user interface elements that are at your disposal. As you use the web, become aware of the page elements that each website uses. The best conversion practitioners have an almost encyclopedic knowledge of the web. They appear to have read the whole of the internet. It comes in useful. When faced with a particular problem, it helps to be able to recall how another website has effectively solved it. We are avid collectors of effective marketing elements. Every time you see something that works well, take a screenshot of it and store it in a swipe file folder. Incidentally, this doesn't just apply to the web. Our swipe file contains thousands of examples from direct mail and offline space advertising for almost every industry. 4. Learn the most important concepts of usability. There are many good books about usability, but the following ones will teach you most of the concepts you need to know. Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug is an excellent introduction to web usability. We passionately believe it should be on the school curriculum. Designed for Use by Lucas Mathis is less entertaining than Don't Make Me Think, but it covers more usability concepts. If this book list seems worryingly short, that's a testament to how much ground this book covers. The Visual Display of Quantitative Information by Edward R. Tuft contains many examples of complex data shown in beautifully elegant ways. Don't be put off by its technical-sounding title. It's fun to read. 5. Use tools for wireframing and prototyping so your designs can be user-tested before they get coded up. To make your designs usable, design them in a format that makes them easy to edit. In fact, that's true of anything you ever create. Once you have designed a first draft, user test it on one or two people, and then incorporate your insights into the design and user test again. In doing so, you get a frequent sanity check that you are proceeding along the right lines. Every medium has its own low-fidelity format. Fiction writers use plot outlines. Movie makers use storyboards. Artists use pencil outlines. And web designers use wireframes. A wireframe shows the layout of a page with key text but without any detail. The most important feature of a wireframe, or of any low-fidelity format, is that it contains only the core ideas with no incidental trimmings. This gives three big advantages. Wireframes are easy to create and edit. A change that takes a company a week to implement on a live website may take 10 seconds to make on a wireframe. Wireframes are easy to interpret. We once observed a user test of a page that had been designed in high fidelity. I don't like the colours, the user commented. Ignore the colours, the designer replied. I don't like the cartoon dog, the user said. Ignore the dog, the designer replied. I don't like the feel of the page, the user said. Ignore the feel, the designer responded. The user became irritated. For heaven's sake, what are you asking me to look at? With wireframes, Users intuitively understand what you are trying to show them. Wireframes help you to focus on what matters, the words. To illustrate this, take one of your pages, select all the text and paste it into a plain text editor. You may be surprised at what you see. For many websites, this exercise is much more useful than it may sound. Some pages are so beautifully designed, it's easy to overlook the words. But the words are what win A-B tests.
Ten years ago, the best way to create wireframes was with paper and post-its. Some people still prefer to work that way. However, there is now an abundance of good software for doing it. The following wireframing tools make it easy to display your work-in-progress designs. Some of them allow you to create working prototypes. Many of them allow you to create pixel-perfect final designs. Some even output production-ready code. The tools we'd recommend you look at first are Sketch, Figma, Balsamic Mockups, Framer X and UXPin. However, there are a crazy number of good alternatives. 6. Use design feedback tools to make it easier to test your designs. Design feedback tools like Verify, 5 Second Test and PicFu allow you to get quick feedback on what you've created. Here's how they work. You upload your designs or ideas and then ask the panel for feedback in a variety of formats. 5 Second Test The user is shown your design for 5 seconds. They then answer questions that you set them like, what do you remember seeing? First Click Analysis You set the users a task and then see where they click first. The aggregated clicks are displayed as a heat map. Question Test you ask the users questions about your design. Multi-click test. You link several pages together and then set the users a task. The software records how the users navigate your website. Annotation test. You ask the users a question. For example, what do you like and dislike about this design? And then ask them to annotate their feedback onto your design. Preference test. You upload two designs, two headlines for example, and ask users which they prefer. Preference tests force the user to choose from two alternatives. They can provide insights that would take years with A-B testing. You just have to bear in mind that the insights are based on the user's opinions, which possibly may not correspond to their actions all of which can provide invaluable insights. Regardless of how your designs were created, InVision app allows you to easily turn them into functional prototype websites. You upload your page designs to InVision and then link them together to make the website navigable. Then you can carry out user tests on what, to the users, appears to be a real website, even though it hasn't seen a smidgen of code. Alternatives that have this functionality include Concept.ly and Marvel. InVision app also allows other people to give written feedback on your work-in-progress designs. You upload your designs and then invite others to annotate them with whatever type of feedback you desire. Notable has similar functionality. Alternatives include Firefly and Bugherd. The Composite app connects to Photoshop files, turning them into clickable prototypes. To gather feedback on your work-in-progress videos, you can use Frame.io, a fantastic web-based platform. Alternatives include Whipster, Simu, Vidhub, Remark and Collaborate. Such services provide great benefits. It's hard to gather and record such feedback even when everyone's in the same room. Optimal Workshop provides several tools, Optimal Sort, TreeJack and Chalkmark, to help you optimise your website's navigation and information architecture. The tools are described in our article about card sorting. Alternatives for card sorting include Simple Card Sort, Usability Test, and XSort. Usability underpins all of conversion. Almost every win has great usability woven into it, just like the most successful books have good grammar in them. Along with readability, usability is a life skill that's worth developing. 
The world has no shortage of things that are infuriatingly confusing to use. If you can make things easy to use, the world will love you. Winning websites give people what they want. Here's what to do if your website doesn't satisfy your visitors' needs. For over 10 years, we have been urging companies to dominate their markets. In fact, that's one of the main things that we help our clients to do. Many of them are now leaders in their verticals. In this chapter, we describe a powerful growth strategy that's hidden in plain sight. It's used by many of the web's most successful companies. It's ridiculously effective for dominating an industry, and yet many companies overlook it. It's based around a major conversion killer. Lack of interest. And here's what we mean by lack of interest. Visitors to your website can't find what they want. Maybe because you don't even offer it. So they leave. What can you do about that? Should you do anything about that? In this chapter, we hope to persuade you that it's imperative that you do something about it. And then we go on to describe a step-by-step -step process for implementing this strategy, a strategy by which many companies wipe out their competitors. Monopoly is the condition of every successful business. Peter Thiel, venture capitalist and co-founder of PayPal. How superstores and leading e-commerce stores use this principle to gain a formidable advantage. It's crucial that your company becomes the dominant player in its industry by satisfying as many of your visitors' intentions as possible. If it doesn't, another business will take that space, capture those economies of scale and push your company out. Most superstores sell a huge number of products. If a visitor wants bananas, then yes, the superstore has bananas. If a visitor wants pet insurance, then yes, the superstore sells that too. And if a visitor wants children's t-shirts, then yes, it sells those too. By satisfying all of the visitors' intentions and desires, the store mops up more of the money that the visitors are willing to spend. The preceding approach has a huge impact. If you can satisfy twice as many of your visitors' intentions, you effectively halve the cost of acquiring a customer, because the cost of acquisition gets divided over twice as many purchases. Plus, if a visitor can get everything they want from you, they are less likely to visit one of your competitors. For contrast, let's consider an imaginary company that couldn't easily adopt the above strategy. Let's call it One Trick Squirrel. One Trick Squirrel makes nothing but smooth peanut butter. It doesn't even make the type with bits in. It disposes of the bits in a landfill site. One Trick Squirrel peanut butter could be the best in the world. But a One Trick Squirrel store could never be large because it satisfies only one need and few people want all of their weekly groceries to be peanut butter. There's a limit to how large a store can become if it doesn't satisfy many visitors' intentions. Amazon began to do this early, presumably because many of its senior team members were from the retail industry, so they understood this economic imperative. So, if you visit Amazon.com and search for a book called Soils of Outer Mongolia, you will find what you need. That's true, by the way. Amazon created Amazon Marketplace to ensure that whatever a visitor wants, Amazon can provide, even if it's via a marketplace seller. Amazon understands the importance of giving visitors whatever they want. It's good for financial reasons, but it's also great for the visitor experience. And it means that Amazon is often the first place that Amazon customers look to the extent that some people forget that there are alternatives. Amazon is now nicknamed the Everything Store, and that was by strategy, not by chance.
How to do gap analysis for visitor intentions, a practical process that can generate breakthrough results. We use the following process to identify and quantify the opportunities for satisfying a website's visitor intentions. Begin by using an on-page survey to ask your visitors why they visited your website. Wait till you have collected at least 100 responses, then create a table with the following columns. Column 1. Your visitors' intentions. In this column, list all the responses to the question, what did you come to our website to do? Of course, no two responses are the same, so you'll need to group all the responses that had similar meanings. For example, if one response was, buy pet insurance, and another was, to see if I should get pet insurance, you might want to categorise them both as pet insurance. Column 2. Percentage of all visits. Enter the percentage of visitors who gave each response. Column 3. Do we satisfy this intention? Enter a yes or a no, depending on whether this is a visitor intention that your website satisfies. For the example above, if you did sell pet insurance, you'd write yes. If you didn't, you'd write no. Column 3 may reveal that you satisfy only a small percentage of your visitors' needs. Many companies accept this as inevitable. If the visitor wants pet insurance and the website doesn't offer pet insurance, the company dismisses the visitor as having been unqualified. However, the opportunity comes when you populate the following two columns. Column 4. How do we currently monetize this intention? How could we monetize this intention? Column 5. How much revenue do we currently generate from this? How much revenue could we generate from this? Columns 4 and 5 allow you to estimate the opportunity cost, revealing how you could increase your profit per visitor. For new products, you will have to estimate the value for column 5. You can base your estimates on knowledge of your competitors' sales, information from suppliers, sales figures from a trial run, or calculations based on the survey responses making assumptions about conversion rates. Why is it so important to increase the profit per visitor? Because, for many websites, the key metric is the acceptable cost per acquisition which is how much you can afford to spend on acquiring each visitor. And that figure depends on how much profit you can generate from each visitor. So, if you can increase your profit per visitor, you can afford to spend more per visitor and thus outbid your competitors on ads, which means you get the lion's share of the traffic. Of course, conversely, if your competitors can monetize your visitors better than you can, then there's a good chance they can do the same to you. It might sound mercenary to talk about monetizing visitors. However, from a visitor's eye view, monetization tends to be a good thing. As a consumer, you'll find that there's a large correlation between the companies you like and the ones you give money to. How to Populate Column 4 – An Easy Way to Generate Ideas for Monetizing Visitor Intentions The following methods may help you identify products and services that would satisfy your visitors' intentions. Method 1 Temporarily add a Google AdSense box to the page. AdSense is powered by auction bidding so the ads that are shown will be those that the advertisers and Google are confident will persuade your visitors to spend money. Once the ads are live on your website, study which products and services they promote. Method 2. Look at which products and services your competitors offer, particularly those that they push hard. Method 3. Identify companies that have similar economics to yours and look at which products they cross-sell. Perhaps your company sells a B2B commodity, like safety signage. 
If so, look for other companies that sell B2B commodities and see what other products and services they offer. You may be inspired to discover that the domain registrar GoDaddy cross-sells office productivity software or that the printing company Vistaprint cross-sells an email marketing service. Not only will this reveal products you should be cross-selling, but you may also discover that the similar companies, like GoDaddy, or even the cross-sold companies, like the office software, should be cross-selling your products. An easy, risk-free way to add products and services. If your research reveals that you should be selling pet insurance, you don't need to set up an insurance company overnight. The following process allows you to explore tentatively how you could offer a new product range. The steps are listed in terms of increasing risk and commitment. Continue running ads on your page. If the ads are generating significant revenues, you could continue to run them. Some of our clients make a significant fraction of their revenue from displaying ads. Continue advertising other companies' products, but bypass the ad network. Contact companies that are advertising on your page and do deals with them directly. They can pay you on a cost-per-impression basis or on a performance basis with a cost-per-acquisition deal or a cost-per-lead deal. If you believe that it would be strategically wise, you may choose to handle more of the value chain in-house by stopping the ads and instead designing, manufacturing or providing a similar product or service yourself. An example of creating additional product ranges. While studying MorphSuit's analytics, we noticed that many visitors were searching for a type of Halloween suit that didn't exist. Armed with the data, Morph Suits started manufacturing the new type of suit, safe in the knowledge that there was zero risk in creating it. The new suit became a top seller. We weren't surprised. We even knew approximately how many it would sell. The Morph Suits team is extremely dynamic and has taken this principle far. Over the past few years, they have rebranded into Morph Costumes and increase their number of suits from 71 to over 300. In the next episode, we'll explain why winning websites make the benefits clear and what to do if your visitors aren't persuaded of the benefits. And that's all for this episode. If you'd like to be kept up to date with our new discoveries, get our free email newsletter from conversion rate experts.com forward slash gifts. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck with making your website win.